you have your Bible, then stand with me. Colossians chapter 3. Our topic is still a heavenly mindset. Colossians 3, the first four verses. The Bible says in verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful today to have a Savior who loved us enough to die for us. We're thankful for your word, Lord, that speaks to our heart. And I pray that it will become alive today in every heart that's here. Draw us, God, ever near to you, Lord. Help us to touch your face. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. What a privilege it is to be a child of God. The benefits, for lack of a better way to say it, are literally out of this world. They never fade. They never grow old. And the one who gave them and promised them will fulfill those promises. I find it kind of interesting, and we've been here for quite a few weeks. It's hard to add new to the text. I don't intend on doing much of that today, but I do want to stick with the text. We are risen with Christ. Yes, we have been crucified. Yes, you sang that song. But we are alive in Christ. And so we, as Christians, if you're born again, the Bible says our heart ought to be set on things above not on things on this earth. And verse 3 gives us a reason. We are dead. And our life is hid with Christ in God. But verse 4 is going to be our major thought today. And the fact of the matter is, we have a glorious future. Thank God. It only gets better from here. And because we are born again, if you are a child of God, we need to realize that this world is not our home. We are just passing through. So we're looking at how we can develop a heavenly mindset. We've already covered quite a bit of ground. Now, first of all, we have to focus on our resurrected Position. Yes, we've died in Christ, but He also raised us up. He made us alive. We've been raised and we have been seated in heavenly places with Christ. That is our position. Folks, let me remind you about something. Don't you ever feel sorry for me. I'm a child of the King. I've been elevated to heavenly places. That is my position. So, Focus on our resurrected position. Number two is we develop a heavenly mindset by focusing on our crucified position. 
We have died to sin. We have died to ourselves. We have died to this world. And we've died to the power of Satan. We have been crucified. And a crucified life says, life is not about me. My life is not about all what I want and what I desire. My life is about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what a crucified life looks like. So, our resurrected position, our crucified position, our hidden life in Christ, and by the way, because we're hidden in Christ, He protects us. Amen. Jude, in his epistle, signed off to Him who's able to keep us from falling. He protects us. But not only that, if your life is hidden in Christ, you're hidden from the world. They will not recognize you. So we have to focus on our resurrected position. We've got to focus on our crucified position. Focus on our hidden life. And number four today, we've got to focus on our future in Christ. Look at verse four again. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear... Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. I know I say it often, but folks, it matters what we know about God. It matters that we know who we are in God. It matters that we know what privileges we have because we are children of God. Now, I find it kind of interesting, and by the way, I know we covered this verse to some degree last, we didn't, didn't quite finish yet, but Paul is very adamant here. He said, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Notice what he did not say. He didn't say, might appear. Folks, Christ is coming again. You can count on that. When Christ shall appear. Now, he came once. He's coming again. And if we are going to develop a heavenly mindset, we have to focus on the future we have in Christ. One day, one glorious day, the Bible says Christ will appear in glory. Thank God for that. But it also tells us that when Christ appears in glory, we will also appear with Him in glory. Now think about that. We will appear with Him in glory. So sometime in the future, could be today, by the way, could be tomorrow. The key is, are you ready? But Christ is coming again, and when he does, his divine life will be revealed to the fullest extent, but also it will reveal our full potential in Jesus Christ. Our glory will be revealed. And this is simply another reason that we need to set our affection on things above. Now, by the way, 
If you're expecting your glory in this world, you're disappointed. Our true glory will come from heaven. It will come from heaven. Because the bottom line is, and the longer I live, the more I realize this, everything in this world is passing away. Everything. It's transitory. It's an illusion, if, an illusion, if you will. But my friend, the glory of heaven is going to last. This past week, Nate and I were at Home Depot. And uh, Nate got the wrong lumber. We'll talk about that later on. But w- when we turned around, there was a fellow there that I hadn't seen for several years. And uh, I recognized him, but I thought, man, he's looking old. I'm sure he probably thought the same thing about me. Because the fact of the matter is our glory here is fading. Isn't that true? But our true glory is not here. It is in heaven. When Christ comes, now think about this, church. When Christ comes, we are going to be transformed. We are going to be transformed, but also humanity and the rest of creation for the first time, we'll see us as we really are. Rick, you sang a few weeks ago, the old man's dead, if you can only see inside. Our glory is going to be revealed. I want to remind you what I said last week, folks. If you're a child of God, a better day is coming. A better, glorious day is coming. Look at the promise we have. Romans chapter 8, verse 30, the last part. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. God says it's as good as done. It is certain to happen. God is going to glorify us. Now, by the way, and don't miss this, folks, there is something wonderful, magnificent, I'm losing words to use here, coming our way one of these days. Something we can't find, we cannot find the words to adequately describe it. There'll be one of these days we will be finally, fully conformed to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ and we will be glorified. God is coming again. Now, by the way, those who are born into the family of God, we are presently enjoying God's kindness. We're presently enjoying His blessing through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank God for that. But I want to tell you, folks, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. We can't imagine. We have a glimpse of it now. But the best is still coming. But one of these days, when our body is resurrected, if God tarries, when our body is resurrected, it is going to be a reality. We will be glorified. And by the way, we don't know all the details yet because God hasn't said. But one thing I do know, when Christ is revealed, I am going to be just like him. Doesn't that blow you away? I am going to be just like him. And here's what I think is so unbelievable, though true. Christ is going to be revealed to his people, 
But he's also going to be revealed in his people. His glory will be revealed in his people. And so, at the same time, those who are Christians will be revealed to the world that we are God's people. And we'll do that by sharing in his glory and his beauty. We will be glorified. How many are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth? Amen. A place the Bible says that he has promised. And we wait for God's new order. We wait for a world without sin. A world without sickness. A world without evil. And I want to tell you folks, that day is coming. We have a glorious future. But until then, we go out into the world. We share the good news of Jesus Christ. Could our heart be ought to be that other folks might know the Savior as we know Him. And so resurrection power, Christ's power, we have to live for Him now. And while we live for Him now, He gives us hope for the future. Thank God for that hope. We ended with this verse last week, Hebrews 9, verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I have a question. Now, we're not 100% sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. One of the apostles did. We read a moment ago what Paul said, when Christ appears in glory. The writer of Hebrews says, he will appear a second time. How many know there was no doubt in the minds of the apostles that Christ would come again? They were absolutely sure he would come again. And because of that promise, children of God, believers in Christ, are expecting and we are waiting for his return. And the writer of Hebrews said, he will appear a second time. Now, by the way, let's keep it simple. If he appeared a second time, means what? He appeared the first time. And that was for a reason. He came to the world almost a little over 2,000 years ago. And he came to take care of sin. How many times did he have to die for that? Just once. That has been taken care of. Thank God he took care of our sins. That is a done deal. But the Bible says he's coming a second time. And because sin has already been taken care of, he will not have to deal with sin the second time. But he's coming the second time to save those who eagerly wait for his return. How many are eagerly waiting? He's coming to save us. And that's why 
if we are ever going to develop a heavenly mindset, our focus must be on His second coming when He appears in glory. Again, verse 4, Colossians 3, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we appear with Him in glory. What did Paul mean when it says that we shall appear with Him in glory? Well, this glory is probably not just a reflection of heaven. That would be part of it. But Paul is talking about our glory. When Jesus Christ comes again, we will have a glorified body. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verses 42 through 44. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. The age-old question is, what happens when we die? Now, by the way, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, the last time I checked, the mortality rate is 100%. But also, everybody will be raised. Think about this. Believers to everlasting life of Jesus Christ and our God. Unbelievers to eternal damnation. I believe in a literal hell, but the worst thing about hell is God's not there. So both are going to die. Both will be raised. So once, if God carries, and I told you before, I'm looking for the upper taker. But yet, if I have to go by the undertaker, God will take care of that as well. So God's creative power will continue to work as our dead bodies are resurrected and transformed into a new body. Now, I've got to confess, I'm ready for a new one. In fact, if I could, thank you, brother. If I could find a body dealer, I'd trade it in for a new model, right? The old one's wearing out. Amen. And you know, it's interesting, Paul gives a good illustration, we didn't read that part, but Paul says in previous verses, unless a seed is buried first and dies, it can't produce fruit. And the same is true. And Paul says, like a seed that is sown, then it grows into a glorious new plant, Paul said that's a picture of the resurrection of those who have died. And so Paul begins to give the contrast between our present physical bodies and our resurrected spiritual bodies. First of all, Paul says, our physical bodies are perishable, but our raised bodies are not. 
Look at verse 42, 1 Corinthians 15. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Now, the original word there for our English word corruption, it denotes decay. It denotes corruption, being destroyed. It means to be per- to perish or to be perishable. This earthly body is going to perish. Eventually, every human's physical body is going to perish. But those who are raised with Christ, thank God, will have bodies that will never die. Now think about this. Our resurrected body is going to last and live forever. Now, we'll talk about some more about this in a moment, okay? So number one, physical bodies perish. Our raised bodies will not. Number two, our physical bodies were sown in dishonor, but we will be raised in glory. Look at verse 42 or 43 again. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. I don't want to be very morbid this morning, but the fact of the matter is a dead body by its very nature has nothing honorable to it. But the raised body, now hear me, will have a glory. And the Bible says that glory will surpass the beauty of the most beautiful flower on earth. That's the glory we are going to have. Now, by the way, our resurrected body will not be just a raised corpse like we see in horror movies. I don't see them because I don't watch that kind of movie. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, it won't be that way. Our raised bodies are going to be remade. They are going to be remade. Our resurrected bodies are going to be far more glorious than our physical body could ever be or ever was. So, our physical bodies perish. Our resurrected body does not. Our physical bodies are sown in dishonor. Our resurrected bodies are raised in glory. And the third thing, our physical bodies are sown in weakness. But we are raised in power. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, 43. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And when Paul penned these words, the Greek culture that he lived in would honor tremendously those bodies that were perfectly trained. They would honor muscular bodies. But the problem is, I don't care how well you train or how much you exercise, and I confess I need to do more of that. Nothing wrong with that. But no matter how much we do, once our body dies, we are weak. Our strength is gone. We are powerless. But our resurrected body will be raised by the power of God himself and will have power given to it by God. Church, hear me well. I don't care where you are, when that trumpet sounds, the power of God is going to raise you up. We have a resurrected body. And the fourth thing I think is very important. 
Every physical body is sown or buried a natural body. But if you're in, if you're in Christ, I want to add something here, and don't call me a heretic just yet till you hear me out. Not only will Christians receive a different body, so will sinners. And don't have to conclude just yet. But we will be raised a spiritual body. Verse 44, 1 Corinthians 15. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Let me camp here and dig myself out of the hole I just made, okay? And hear me well. How many know whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, you have a natural body? Amen? Okay. Come on, bear with me here. And that natural body is suited to live in this world. Amen? Whether you're saved or you're lost, it's made to live in this present world. But understand something. This natural body that I have is not fit for the world to come. And the reason I said that not only do Christians get a different body, so do sinners. Because the body we have as Christians is not suited for eternal life. And I suggest to you that when the sinner is raised for eternal damnation, they will have a body suited for hell. A body that will not be annihilated. A body that will never be destroyed. Now, this is only my thought on this, okay? Now, by the way, there is one group of people out there who claim that when you die, if you go to hell, your body only lasts for three days or four days, and then it's gone. There's no more punishment. That is not biblical. Now, so I'm suggesting, and I could be called out on this, if you're going to last forever in hell, it can't be the kind of body you bear. It has to be a different kind of body. But understand, punishment in hell is for eternity, forever and ever. But I want to focus. I don't want to focus on. I want to focus on you and I as Christians. The future world, where our Savior Jesus Christ reigns in His kingdom, is going to require. A spiritual body. A spiritual body. Now the problem with, with the language sometimes that we read, and because of the way we sometimes think, and we're all guilty of that, when we think of a spiritual body, we think of, of a, a ghost-like object floating in space. That is not what the spiritual body refers to. And so what Paul is saying is, look, what you need to understand, what I'm doing here is making sure you understand, I'm not trying to say that our spiritual body that we're going to have is 
opposite or opposed to the physical or material body. Because if Paul was saying that, that would contradict what he's already written about our resurrected bodies. So hear me well. Please understand this. Believers will not become spirits. That is not what Paul teaches. Spiritual refers to a body that is adequate for new spiritual life, just as our present bodies are cut out for this world living as a soul. Let that sink in. First of all, let me remind you, God knows what he's doing. He never makes mistakes. And God knew that our soul would need a body. But he also knows when we get to heaven, our spirits are going to need a body as well. So we'll not have a natural body like Adam had. We'll not have a body designed to live on this earth. But we will have a spiritual body. Just like Christ had when he raised from the dead. I don't have the verse on my notes today, but you remember the time when Christ walks in as the disciples were gathered that, that evening and they thought they saw what? They thought they saw a ghost, a spirit. And Jesus, whoa, whoa, let's stop right there. That's, I'm paraphrasing. To touch me, handle me. You understand what we're talking about? That was the resurrected body. They could touch that body. They could feel that body. He even ate in their presence in that resurrected body. And so because we know there's a natural body, and because we know there's a spiritual body, the reality of the second coming of Christ, and the fact that when He comes, we will appear with Him in glory, that ought to have a deep, profound effect on how we live our lives today. Folks, he's coming again. He's coming to take us home. He's coming to give me a brand new body that will live for eternity. First John chapter 3. We read verse 2 last week. We're going to read it again, but verse 3 will be our focus. First John 2 verse, I'm sorry, first John 3 verses 2 and 3. Look what it says. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Notice verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. How pure was Jesus? How pure is Jesus? Amen. And because Jesus Christ lived without sin, he was pure. And those of us who are believers, who have this hope of one day seeing Christ and being like him, John says, if you have that hope, you will want to purify yourself. 
You will want to live differently. You will want to act differently. You will want to talk differently. Now that word to purify ourselves, it simply means to be morally and ethically free from the corruption of sin. We want to be just like him. We're going to be one day, but now we want to do the best we can to live just like him in this world. Now I need to let you know this morning, church, the only way we can do that is through the power of Christ. We can't do it on our own. Look what Jesus said in John 15, verse 5. Without me, ye can do what? Nothing. How many need him this morning? Boy, I do. I need him every day of my life. And by the way, this purifying ourselves, it's an ongoing cleansing process. As long as we live in this world, that process is to go on. And that process began the day we gave our life to Christ. And that process will continue until Jesus comes to take us home. We're to be purifying ourselves. Now make no mistake about it. God also purifies us. But the Bible is very clear. The Bible is very, very clear. We have to take steps if we are going to remain morally fit for heaven. Paul is writing to a young preacher named Timothy, 1 Timothy. Look what he said in chapter 5, verse 22. Neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Church, we need to, we need to live by that. We are not to partake in other people's sins. We are to keep ourselves pure. So I have to ask a question. Whose responsibility is it to keep me pure? It's mine. Who's responsible to keep you pure? It is you. We not to partake in their sins. We're to keep ourselves pure. In James chapter 4, one of my favorite verses, verse 8 in James. James said, we're to draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. How many like that verse? If you if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. But then, in the last part of the same verse, James gives us some requirements. If you're going to draw near to God, you've got to cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So if we're going to draw near to God, we're the ones who has to cleanse our hands. We're the ones who have to purify our hearts. That is our responsibility. And all of those who have the hope of appearing with Christ will purify themselves even as He is pure. Go back to verse 3 of John, 1 John 3 again, the first part. And every man that hath this hope, every man that has this hope, The Bible is clear. In fact, Paul addresses this situation in other verses as well. And he, he says in so many words, you don't hope what you already have, right? Because if you already have it, 
What's the point of hoping for it? You hope for something you don't have. So when John speaks about us having this hope, that word hope is simply a reminder that our spiritual lives are in a process. We are in a process. And that word hope here, it means a steady, confident expectation. Not a hope so. It is a confident anticipation of a future blessing we are going to share in Jesus Christ. So we were purified from sin by Christ. I'm glad his blood cleanses us from all sin. Amen. So we were purified from sin by Christ. And now that he's purified us, we are to continue purifying ourselves as we work out our salvation during our time, our journey here on this earth. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Paul says. So, we've been purified by Christ when you were saved. His blood cleansed you from all your sins. We continue to purify ourselves as we live in this world. And while we're doing that, we trust in the hope that Jesus promised us, that God says to us, that when we face Jesus Christ, when we come to Him face to face, we will be made completely perfect. Now folks, I can only speak for myself. Lord, you've got a long way to go with me. But how many know that's a promise? And if God promises that when we see Christ, we will be perfectly, well, completely is a better word, completely perfect, that is going to happen because God said it is going to happen. And so the Bible says that's why everyone who has this hope within themselves, that's why they are so determined to purify their lives. The second coming of Christ and our future glory ought to motivate us every day to purify our thoughts, to purify our conversations, and to purify our daily endeavors. But it also ought to transform every area of our life. Now, by the way, let me interject here today. If you do not have a desire to purify your life, if you don't have a desire to be pure as he is pure, and you claim to be a Christian, I check your salvation out. That doesn't mean we always do it right, but we want to. Doesn't mean we always cross all the T's and dot all the I's, but we have a heart. We want to be like him. But also understand, even as a Christian, if you are born again, in all probability, there are a lot of Christians, many Christians, who don't have a heavenly mindset. And because they don't have a heavenly mindset, they don't live holy lives. And one of two things are true. 
They've either lost or they've never had hope in the second coming of Christ. Folks, I want to tell you something. If Jesus Christ is not coming again, close the door, let's go home. That is our hope, a sure hope. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus gives a parable. And in that parable, he describes a sad reality of a servant who had lost Verse 42, Luke 12, down to verse 48. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink, and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him. And at an hour when he is not aware. And will cut him asunder. I mean, in sunder. And will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, which knew the Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask, Now, I realize this is a parable, but yet it has a great application today. A great application in our lives. Here we have a servant. So he was part of it. Not now, he was a servant. And his master delayed his coming. And because of the delay, the servant lost his expectation of the return of his master. And when he lost that hope, that expectation of his master coming, he began to cast off restraint. He began to live a life of discord, a life of waste, and a life of blatant sin. And this parable is simply about the fruits we will harvest in our lives if we lose the expectancy of Christ coming back again. He is coming again. Our lives, if we, if we don't focus on that future coming of Christ, our lives will be filled with discord. 
We'll spend it in wasteful living. We'll live our lives in blatant sin. And that will be the mark of our lives. And church, hear me. And hear me well. That's why Satan is always after our minds. He's always after our minds. Satan knows that if he can turn our minds away from things in heaven, if he can turn our minds away from heaven and have us focus on things this earth, he knows he can win the battle. Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. We have to focus on our glorious future in Christ. The more earthly we think, the more earthly we become. And Satan is especially after our mind as it concerns our future. Satan wants us to think about anything else, anything else, rather than the fact that Christ is coming again and our future glory with him. He doesn't want us to focus on that. Satan understands. He knows that everybody, anybody who has that hope of the return of Christ, that hope of our future glory, Satan knows they will purify themselves. And Satan said, if I can turn their mind off of that, I've got them. What you think about the future radically affects how you live today. Let's stand together. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Folks, I'm praying that God is speaking to all of us during these messages. Because more than anything else, we need to be about developing a heavenly mindset. And I want you to know, church, a glorious day is coming. Keep your eye on the goal. Years ago, growing up out in the country, I worked for several farmers during my teenage years, young adult years. And that was before the days of GPS. Uh, but if you don't know, now tractors have GPSs on them. And they can plant a row of corn. You can shoot an arrow down because that GPS guides it. In my day, we didn't have GPSs. And I'll never forget when I, the first time I plowed a big field, probably, I don't know, 40 acres or so at that, in that particular field. The guy I worked for, he said, I want you to do pick out a tree on the other, you pick a tree out of the other end of the field. Don't watch the front of the tractor. Don't look behind you at the plow. Look at that tree. And he said, if you'll focus on that tree, You'll plant a straight row. I want to tell you something, folks. If you focus on the coming of Christ and the glory we're going to have, we will live a straight life. Father, thank you for your word.
(laughs) You've been so good to us. You died for our sins. You cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God, now it's part of our responsibility to maintain that purity in our lives. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would send conviction where it's needed. But Father, also send encouragement. I pray, Father, that we'd each one take a close look at our lives. Where is our focus. We'll give you the praise and we'll give you the glory. In the precious name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're going to sing a song of invitation this morning. And I hope you are focusing on that hope. A hope beyond this world. God loves you today. And He wants you to focus on